Now that passage that we just read contains the third and fourth I am sayings of Jesus in this gospel. Uh, Jesus has declared himself in chapter 6 to be the bread of life. And in chapters 8 and 9, he has declared himself to be the light of the world. Now in chapter 10, Jesus makes two I am statements that are related to each other. I am the door of the sheep, and I am the good shepherd. Jesus is declaring that he alone is the one through whom we have eternal life. He is the door. And he is the good shepherd. He is the one who tenderly, yet sovereignly and authoritatively cares for us and gives us all that we need. Both of these I am sayings picture Jesus as the shepherd and us as his sheep. Now when we, I think as... 21st century American Christians, when we picture a shepherd at work, I think we can often have a somewhat sanitized, maybe romantic picture of a nice, gentle man cuddling with cute little sheep. But in the ancient world, the world of Jesus' day, the image of a shepherd would have brought to mind images of authority and strength. Shepherds were some of the strongest men among their people, and we see an example of this in David. We are told in the scriptures how he fought off predators to protect the sheep. And to do that, to kill a lion, to fight off vicious predators, you had to be brave and strong. And so a shepherd had to have this unique combination of being gentle and kind, but also strong and firm and brave. In his classic work, The Land in the Book, William McClure Thompson wrote this. He said, the Eastern shepherd must never be thought of as a pale, sentimental figure but rather one of immense strength and great authority. He is pictured in the Old Testament as the Lord over his sheep, and therefore the Israelites called their kings shepherds, David being the chief example. His word is not just the gentle voice, but the kingly command. His relationship to the sheep is not that of a feeble guide, but of an authoritative Lord. And it is the very strength of the character of the shepherd which gives the sheep security. As we think about this image that Jesus gives to us as Christ as our shepherd, it can be an image on the surface that seems attractive, that seems nice. But we need to understand from the outset that this image is filled with truths that are offensive to the natural man. The idea that we are sheep and that we must submit to the authority of our master 
Jesus, the idea that we need a guide in this life, that we don't know the way to go ourselves, that's a truth that is offensive to many. Moreover, the image of us as sheep is tremendously humbling. One writer humorously said that the existence of sheep disproves the theory of evolution. Because if it's the survival of the fittest, sheep are so pathetic, they would not survive. Sheep are vulnerable and foolish. They tend to wander from the flock. They will eat poisonous plants if the shepherd doesn't watch them closely. They will literally walk off cliffs. I, I know a friend who went to New Zealand and witnessed that happen. He encountered a sheep on a mountain, and the sheep looked at him and ran off the edge of the cliff. And if sheep fall over, they can't get up, and they will die. Sheep need a shepherd. Without a shepherd, sheep die. And that is why in the Gospels we read of Jesus having compassion and pity on the crowds because he saw that they were sheep without a shepherd. In other words, he saw that they were as good as dead without him. Friends, you need a shepherd. Without Jesus, we will die in our sins. And even as believers, we are still sheep. We are still helpless. We tend to wander both from Christ and his flock. We do things very often that are harmful to ourselves and how often we fall. We need Jesus, the good shepherd. And the beauty of this passage lies in the way in which it portrays the loving leadership of Jesus as the true king and shepherd of our souls. Showing how he provides for us everything that we need, leading us and guiding us ultimately into eternal joy and peace. This passage assures us that our shepherd is worthy of our deepest confidence and our heartfelt worship. And that we should follow him. Let's begin by thinking about the character of the shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. And there are many things that Jesus says here about himself that underline his goodness. He talks about how he brings salvation to helpless sheep. How he brings his sheep into pasture, feeding them, giving them all that they need. He not only gives us life, but he gives us life abundantly. Eternal life with him. His Strength provides for us an eternal security, assuring us that no one can snatch us from his hand. He says that he knows us. We are not to Jesus some 
nameless, faceless flock. He knows you by name. And he speaks to you tenderly. He causes you to hear his tender voice and follow the sound of that voice. Now, this image of God as our shepherd is a well-established image of God's care for his people in the Old Testament. There are many passages we could look at. I think maybe what I'll do next week is look at Ezekiel 34, because that's, I think, Jesus had that passage in mind. But in Genesis 48, 15, Jacob ended his life by saying this, God has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. As Jacob reflected on his life, that image of God as his shepherd permeated his mind and filled him with gratitude and thankfulness. Jacob knew the care of the shepherd. And if we remember the story of Jacob, he was a sinful man who wandered repeatedly. And in his sin and his wanderings from the Lord, he experienced firsthand the tender care of that shepherd. And at the end of his life, Jacob marveled at the way in which the shepherd had pursued him and preserved him. He remembered how the shepherd had wounded him so that he would no longer wander. David knew that same care, a care so intimately expressed in that psalm that we read, Psalm 23. And we are assured that this same shepherd will lead us and guide us all the days of our life. But the character of the shepherd, his goodness, is ultimately demonstrated in that he took the place of the sheep and became, in the words of Isaiah, like a lamb led to slaughter. Shortly before the cross, Jesus spoke of his impending sacrifice, and he quoted from Zechariah 13:7, which the Father speaks, and he says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. I will strike the shepherd. The shepherd was willingly struck for the sins of wandering sheep like us. Thus, when Jesus in this passage talks about being the good shepherd, the resounding refrain is, I lay down my life for the sheep. One writer said, the good shepherd would give everything of himself to provide everything for his flock. We'll think about that more in a moment when we think about the shepherd's sacrifice, but I want you to notice how throughout this chapter, as Jesus talks about himself as the good shepherd, he's doing so partly in contrast with bad shepherds or false shepherds. 
You'll notice what he calls them. He calls them thieves and robbers, strangers, hired hands who don't care for the sheep, those who kill and destroy. And in this contrast, Jesus is offering us a sobering warning. A warning both against false shepherds and a warning against our own tendency to follow and listen to the wrong voices. If you look at the beginning of chapter 10, there's no connecting words. And that, that's unusual. Uh, usually we read when a, when a new section begins, we'll read something like, now after this, or this or that was at hand, or a few days later. But it goes right from chapter 9 to chapter 10. And I think that's important because what just happened in chapter 9? Jesus healed that man who was blind from birth. And do you remember how his shepherds treated him? We see in those shepherds no love, no mercy, no thankfulness for the healing. They intimidate him. They mock him. They're sarcastic. And when he won't back down from his profession of Jesus Christ... They excommunicate him for his faith in Jesus. They cast him out. They had his parents so intimidated that they were afraid to speak. These are the bad shepherds, the false shepherds that Jesus is talking about. The Bible warns us against false shepherds, and in doing so, it gives us many characteristics of false shepherds that we should look for. But there is one overarching characteristic of a false shepherd that we are to watch for. One warning sign that we need to get and understand, and that is they will not lead you to Jesus, but they will steer you away from Jesus. The Pharisees in chapter Nine, those shepherds, what were they doing? This man who was professing Jesus as Savior, they were steering him away. They were trying to get him to deny Jesus. And they did that because they were not about leading people to the good shepherd. But they were concerned with their position, their power, having followers of their own and not about the one true and living God. Now, it's not always that obvious. I think most of the time it's much more subtle. A false shepherd can lead you into great theological learning. He can be a great teacher, a smart person. But the question is, does that teacher want you infatuated with him or her? Or does he want you to follow Jesus? The job of pastors and teachers in the church, as it were, are to take the flock by their hand and lead them to the good shepherd. The Pharisees were concerned 
about having a following for themselves. They were concerned about their ego and their power. We need to beware of false shepherds. And we need to remember in our culture, which is so tempted by the cult of personality, we need to remember that the mark of a shepherd, a good shepherd, someone who leads people to Jesus, it's not talent or intellect or charisma or speaking ability. Are they magnifying Jesus? Are they pointing people to the good shepherd and saying, follow him? And friends, we, of course, need always to be on guard against that false shepherd that lurks in our own hearts. There's a reason that that mantra of our society, follow your heart, is so popular. There's a voice in our heart, but we are told that there's a way that may seem right to us, but in the end, it ends in death. The question for us today is, whose voice are we listening to? What shepherd are we following? We have many voices in our ears. Is the preeminent voice that we hear and follow, is that the voice of the good shepherd? Jesus is the good shepherd. But secondly, we see the sacrifice of this shepherd. As I mentioned earlier, the resounding refrain of this passage is the sacrifice that the shepherd makes. Three times in verses 11, 15, and 17, Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, in the Hebrew way of speaking, if you say something twice, you really mean it. Jesus began by saying, truly, truly. But if you say something three times in that Hebrew way of speaking, it is absolutely essential that we hear it and believe it. And three times Jesus emphasizes his sacrificial death for the sheep. And as he does that, he emphasizes first that his death was a willing sacrifice. He says, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up. Again, friends, Jesus' sacrifice was a willing sacrifice, and that is essential because only a willing sacrifice can atone for sin. Why were the animals of the old covenant insufficient sacrifices? They weren't willing, they weren't conscious. Of what was happening. We needed a willing sacrifice. And the reason we need that is because at the heart of sin lies rebellious will. And that means at the heart of the atonement 
is the willing submission of Jesus Christ. Not only did Jesus die for our sins, but he willingly died for our sins. Jesus is helping us understand what happened at the cross. And this is what happened at the cross. His life wasn't taken from him. It was given by him. He said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. His life was not taken, it was given. And in this we can see the great love of the shepherd for sinners. He didn't die as an unwilling sacrifice. The father wasn't twisting his arm. This is how much he loves sinners like us. He died deliberately for you. Willingly for you with a focused precision and love. He knew your name. As he laid down his life willingly. But Jesus also underlines that his sacrifice was substitutionary in nature. Again, what's the refrain? He laid down his life for the sheep, in place of the sheep. I have to admit, I, I really didn't think about this, this imagery. It never really struck me that the shepherd himself became like a lamb led to slaughter. The shepherd would become one of us in order to die for us. That he would remain silent as he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, as the chastisement that was ours was heaped upon him. The good Shepherd stood in our place. And again, as Zechariah 13, 7 says, the father struck the shepherd with his wrath. That begs the question, what did that all look like? Was the father angry? with his son when he struck him. We know that God poured out his wrath upon his son, but was the father angry with his son? You know, we, when parents discipline their children, I'm going to be careful how I say this, sometimes there's righteous anger involved, often there's unrighteous anger, but sometimes there's righteous anger involved. You disobeyed your mother. You hit your sister. We're displeased with them at some level because of their sin. But what did it look like when the father disciplined his own sinless son? And friends, I would submit to you as you behold the cross on which your good shepherd hung, this is an important question to answer. As the good shepherd hung on the cross and he cried out as our substitute, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
as the Father's wrath was laid upon him, what was the nature of the relationship between the Father and the Son at that point? And I would submit to you that verse 17 gives us the beautiful answer. What was the relationship between the Father and the Son at that moment? For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life. You maybe have seen or can see our children go through great hardship with grace and faith overcome some obstacle, display perseverance, and our hearts are filled with love and pride. And we think, that's my boy. That's my girl. We think that's the closest that we can get to understanding what happened between the father and the son at Calvary. As Jesus brought his obedience and love for his Father to its full expression at the cross, as he became obedient to death, even death on a cross, the Father's love, likewise, for his Son came to its full expression. Even as he heard, his son, as he was striking him for our sin, even as he heard that cry, why have you forsaken me? It's as though the father was saying, that's my beloved son. That's my son whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus says, for this reason, the father loves me. And this reveals to us the glory of the cross because we are assured by Jesus here and in other places that the same love that exists between Father and Son is ours as well. The Father loves you as much as he loves his Son. Verses 14 and 15, I know my own and my own Know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. He's saying the same intimacy that exists between me and my Father exists between us and our God. I wonder if you've ever thanked God, thanked your Father in heaven for loving his Son. And it's interesting, if you skim John's gospel, you will find that there is much more about the Father's love for the Son than there is about God's love for us. At his baptism, we read the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. We see it in our text here in John 15, 9. 
Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. John 17, you sent me and loved me and loved them even as you loved me. On 17.24, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Why should we be thankful for this fact? Why should we meditate upon it? Well, if the Father did not love the Son, if He did not accept His work and His life in our place, we could not have been saved. Even as the Father poured out His wrath upon His Son, He loved Him. And what we need to understand is that God's love for you and our place of honor in His kingdom is bound up in the Father's love for the Son. He loves you as He loves His Son. The hope of our security, the fact that no one can snatch us from Jesus' hand or our Father's hands, that security lies in the truth that the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. And we are assured that that same communion is ours in Jesus Christ. Friends, are you listening? To the shepherd's voice today. He says that his sheep hear his voice. And he knows us. And and we should follow him. Are you following the good shepherd today? If not. Let's in the power of the Holy Spirit. Resolve to follow him. To listen for his voice. Knowing that he is worthy. Of our affection our commitment, and our devotion. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your promise that you will be our shepherd all the days of our life. Lord, we know that we wander. We wander from Christ. We tend to wander from his flock. We do things that are harmful to ourselves. Lord, we so often fall and foolishly try to right ourselves in our own strength and can't do it. We thank you for sending us the good shepherd. The one who laid down his life for us. The one who continues to be our shepherd. Lord, would you help us today in the power of your spirit to follow him to trust that he means to do us good, that following him will lead us into the green pastures that we need. It will lead us beside the restful waters that we so desperately need. And Lord, if we ever doubt the goodness of our shepherd, may we keep our eyes fixed upon that cross on which our good shepherd hung, becoming for us like a lamb led to slaughter. Lord, to cause our hearts, our minds, our strength to be fully devoted to you, to follow you. We ask that it might be for your glory. We ask in the good name of Jesus. Amen.